name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. My beloved, today is the uh, third Sunday of the blessed month of Beba, and as we mentioned last week that this month, the theme of this month is the power of God, uh, and how His power helps protect and support us. And we said the first uh, week of this month, we spoke about the power of God manifested in uh, healing uh, the sick when he raised the paralytic man, or he healed the paralytic man. And last week was uh, the catch of fish with uh, St. Peter and how he had power over nature. And today was the healing of the man who was demon-possessed, blind, and uh, mute. And this shows uh, God's power over the evil spirits and demons. Even from the gospel today, you'll find that after he uh, healed this man, the the Pharisees accused him of doing this by the power of Beelzebub, and he tells them, no, the, uh, you know, there can be a divided kingdom. But listen to what he says at the end. He says, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he says, there's a greater power than the power of the demon that you're claiming that I cast out. And that is the power of God. And we spoke last week and we said that the power of God is something that he wants to share with us. As we said, he gives us the power to trample on serpents and scorpions and upon every power of the enemy. However, we can say this with an asterisk. And what is the asterisk is that um, God uh, shares his power with those who approach, does not share his power with those who approach him in arrogance or greed. So the power of God is not shared with anyone who is filled with arrogance or greed. If you remember in the book of Acts in chapter uh, 8, where it speaks about Simon the sorcerer, who saw the apostles when they would lay their hands on the believers, the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they begin to speak in tongues. And he was a sorcerer, so he said, oh, this is a great power. And he said to Peter, how much can I give you so you can give me this power? I want to buy this power so when I put my hands on somebody, they can speak with tongues. So he's approaching here the mysteries and grace of God with a spirit of greed. I want this. And you had no share in this, of course. If we also uh, look at the passage with the, between the Pharisees and the man who was born blind. Of course, we know the story after he was healed um, and they interrogated him a few times and they ended up casting him out of the temple. And the Lord met him out of the temple. And then he says to him, he says to the uh, one who was born blind, for judgment I have come into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were there heard these words and said, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. So they came to him in arrogance thinking that they see. And he said, because you come to me in arrogance, you remain blind. So again, they came to approach the power of God. And because of their arrogance, they were denied the power of God. It's important for us to recognize that there are certain mistaken powers in our life that will compete with the power of God working in us and give us a false sense of security. And I'll mention just a few of them really quick for us to think and meditate on. The first mistaken power is the power of knowledge. As you know, there's a famous axiom that says knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. 
And the idea is here is what that the more that I know, then I can, you know, uh, flex these kind of mental uh, knowledge on the people around me to gain an upper hand. Listen to what St. Paul says to the Corinthians about this worldly knowledge. He says, and he quotes from the Old Testament, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? The scribe was known to be wise at the time because he would be the one who would copy scripture. So he like memorized all of scripture, so he was very knowledgeable. Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? The disputer is kind of like the lawyer, the person who knows the uh, ins and outs of the law and uh, and so on. Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? The wisdom of this world is based on information and knowledge. And we have many different philosophies and many different ideas swirling around. But we have to understand that simply gaining knowledge doesn't give us the wisdom and grace of God. I'll give you an example. The idea of moral relativism, that the morality that we live by is relative. You have your morality, I have more my morality, my neighbor has another set of morals. Meaning what? The idea of defining what is right and wrong is something that is subjective. Something that I can formulate for myself to say what is right and what is wrong. There is no objective moral value. This is what they say. What is the conclusion of this kind of ideology? Where there's nothing that's commonly right and wrong among all of us then every evil is justifiable. Every evil is justifiable. And we had a brother of ours who was murdered uh, uh, last week. This would be justifiable if we lived by this kind of law. Right? Every evil will become justifiable if we live by something like this. This, again, in the pursuit of knowledge, thinking that we're wise and we have these different philosophies, the end of this is the justification of all evil. Solomon is considered and perhaps is the wisest and most knowledgeable person that ever lived because he got his knowledge and his wisdom from God himself. But of course we know that he lived his life in the beginning. He was humble and he lived wise and he gave us all the Proverbs and so on. And then in the middle when he married many foreign wives perhaps to secure his land they end up driving him to worship and build temples for the pagans. And then at the end of his life, he realized what had happened, and he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which was kind of like his confession. Look what he says in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness. I have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know mad, and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind, for in such wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So what is he saying here? He's not saying that knowledge is bad, but when knowledge is void of the grace of God or the wisdom from God, then this brings sorrow. This brings sorrow. Like I said, if you think about this moral relativism and all the evil becomes something that's justifiable, this will bring sorrow upon this person and those who adopt this kind of philosophy. Right? Bring sorrow and madness. This is the first one. Mistaken power, number one, is knowledge. Number two is physical strength. A person's physical strength. <clears throat> Some mistake physical strength as power. 
course, a very clear one from the Bible is David and Goliath, right? The classic story. You have the big guy who's nine feet tall and his armor weighs or his sword weighs more than David probably weighs. And he's going up to him and he's been weeks in front of the Israelites and no one has the courage to come out and fight him because of his stature. He was huge, right? And this little shepherd boy who's used to being in the field with the shepherd and protecting them, he comes forward. And the Bible mentions that Goliath had three weapons. He had a javelin, a spear, and a sword. The javelin is like a, a metal rod with a pointy thing, and it's meant to throw at your enemy as they're approaching you. Then the spear is something that you, you know, you try to stab your enemy as you're combating, and they get closer. And of course, the sword is for the final uh, kill. David, on the other hand, came with what? What did he come with? A slingshot, right? Something that we make when we were kids with a rubber band. He came brought with this and five small smooth stones. Did he need all five of them? He just needed one. He just needed one. Why? Because the other person is coming with his physical strength. The other one is depending on who? On God. It's not about the stone because if the stone misses the temple of his head, it's not going to do him. It's going to bounce off his helmet and he's going to laugh at him, all right? But it's coming with the grace of God. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> physical dis- uh, strength and sometimes uh, is displayed as violence and aggression. Violence and aggression. And if you look again, um, and I lived in a few places growing up, but I've never seen such road rage as I have here. Right? Um, and I don't know why, but there's a lot of people that are rage on the road, right? And this is this physical aggression that I have some kind of power and authority, and if you infringe on that, I'm going to make you pay, right? Um, some people, for another you know, example, some people go to the gym so they can intimidate other people. So I'm going to go and try to build muscles and things so the people that messed with me when I was a little bit more scrawny, I'm going to go and I'm going to put myself before them now after I gain all these muscles and threaten them. Why am I going to the gym? To threaten somebody else? To show my physical strength? Some people use, uh, or some men use their physical strength um, and the discipline of their family. And they say, because I'm the man, you must listen to me or else. And they, you know, unfortunately, they maybe even treat their wife as one of their children. And they threaten them. This is something that, again, should not happen. We shouldn't use our physical strength to threaten and subdue the people who are around us. If we look at Samson, again, perhaps considered the strongest man that we know of, um, he considered his power to be his physical ability. He thought that this was his. Um, but he learned the hard way, as we know in the story, that the source of his power was not from him, but was the grace of God upon him. And when he took for granted this grace and he didn't follow the commandment and the law of God, this grace was removed and taken from him and he became like anybody else. Actually worse, he became like an animal and they put him in the mill to grind as the oxen do. He was humiliated, right? Because what he thought that his physical strength was what gave him superiority over other people. Let's not be mistaken uh, and mistake physical strength given in the form of violence and aggression as being a source of power. This is not so. 
Some also believe that relationships and connections are a source of power. It's about who I know. I know people in high places, then I have my com- uh, connections. You know, for Muslims, right? Somebody has, like, in, I guess in English it'd be like somebody's got his back, right? So don't mess with this person because he has somebody who's in a high place behind him. Or this is the son of the general or the son of this CEO or the son of this per, uh, person who's very prominent. You know, we've seen this all through the news without mentioning any names, right? We've seen this. People who have depend on relationships as a source of power and authority. The Lord um, was very particular when he selected the 12 to begin the church. He told them that I don't want this spirit in you. Listen to what he says in Matthew 20. He says, Jesus called them to himself, the uh, twelve, and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. So they're using their um, position and their uh, authority as a way over the people. Um, uh, and then he says, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So he wanted his disciples to understand not to use their authority and their position as a source of power and to lord it over them just like the non-believers do. He didn't say that, right? And again, any position that I'm in, whether I'm a parent at home and have authority, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a manager, or I'm a servant in the church, or whatever it is, we, we shouldn't be using this position as a position of authority. Or nor should we desire such a position for the sake of authority of those who perhaps are underneath. Mistaken power is often used to serve our ego, and especially this one of authority. We have to be careful. All of these that I'm going to mention, these uh, mistaken powers, they're meant to serve our ego and to feed our ego. Um, we have to be very careful of this, not to allow this you know, to take root in our heart. So the Lord warns them to use the power that he has given them and to use it freely and distribute freely. He says, freely you have received, freely what? Give. Just as I've given you the authority to cast out demons and uh, heal the sick and all of this stuff, I want you to do the same freely. Just as you and I received our forgiveness freely, share with other people this gift of forgiveness freely. Right? I don't want to use the gift of forgiveness and liberty as a Christian to put down another person or to stand in their way, but give it freely. Number four is wealth. With money... Uh, some believe that it gives them a sense of power or a false sense of power. Some people believe that I can do whatever I want if I have X amount of money or X amount of dollars in the bank. Um, and they say when I have X amount of money, then the people will respect and honor me because of the money and power that I have from uh, from the wealth that I have acquired. This is not real power at all. Um, because what happens is when the money fades so does the respect and the honor. It fades. Do you remember the passage of the prodigal son or the lost son where he took half of his wealthy father's inheritance 
And he went and he spent it on prodigal living. And he had all these friends and everybody's having a great time with him. What happened when he lost all his money? He lost all his friends. Right? There was nobody there. Even when he wanted something to eat, nobody was there. He had to go find a man who had some a shelter for some you know, swine or pig. And he said, let me just feed them and stay under the shelter for them. And he wanted to eat the food that the pigs are eating. Right? And no one, no one said anything to him. Right? As soon as the money dwindled, so did his, uh, his uh, companions. This is why St. Paul warns his disciple, his young disciple, St. Timothy. And he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And we all know that part, but listen to the part after. For which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How much sorrow has come to the world in the pursuit of money? Most of the sorrow in the world is produced because of the pursuit of money. They pierce themselves through with many sorrows. In the church, on the other hand, some believe that if I give a large amount of money in the church, then I expect to dictate and direct the project and the vision because of the amount of money that I donated. I want to think us to think about this just for a minute. To whom do we pay our tithe? Do we pay our tithe to Abuna? No. Do we pay our tithe to just like one one church? No. We pay our tithe to who? To God. Okay. Now, um, if I came and just anybody's birthday and I gave a, a, a generous gift, you know, whatever a birthday nowadays, $100, $50, whatever the gift is, this would be fine, right? But suppose I went and I went to a billionaire's, you know, birthday. And maybe if I gave you, maybe like, say that we gave $200 for a birthday, you say, wow, one was so generous, right? If I went now to uh, and maybe you might think, oh, maybe when Abuna's kid's birthday come, we'll have to give him a, a big gift because he gave us. We feel this obligation to return it. And what if I went to a billionaire's uh, his child's birthday and I gave them $200 a gift, right? Would they think this is significant? The one who usually gifts $50,000, is he going to think my $200 is significant? No. So now if we come and we say, okay, I'm going to give X amount of money million, two million, whatever it is to the church. And then I want to dictate what the church does with this because I gave a large amount of money. If I consider that my gift is being given to God, how wealthy is our God? He created the whole universe with a word. Can I give an amount of money to God where I feel he owes me something? We can never do this. Never, right? <clears throat> sometimes we're mistaken wealth for power. The last one is a person's talent or gift. And what I mean here is something that we really don't work for. Something that is a gift that God has given us and we really don't you know, work for this. For example, intelligence. Intelligence might be a gift. And say again, okay, because of my, intellig my intelligence, people should listen to me because I'm simply intelligent. It's a gift, right? But I take this gift and I think it's a source of power. I'm not going to help another student, you know, uh, in my in my class or another coworker, because I want to be more superior than them in the work or the class. Beauty, um, especially for, of course, for women. 
Some women chase after beauty uh, as a source of power and influence over men and a source of feeling of superiority over other women. And again, this pursuit of something that's given to you by God and you had no choice in it. Like when we're in the womb, we don't stitch how we want to look. But this is simply something that God has given. So somebody who is attractive or beautiful, how are we going to use this? Am I going to use this to glorify God? Or am I going to use this to lord it over the people and take advantage of the people around me? Do you remember the story of St. Mary of Egypt? She, she, um, uh, she lived her in her young life, a very poor life. She used her looks to commit harlotry with many people. And this is how she enjoyed to live her life. And she did this because it gave her a sense of, you know, authority and power. Sometimes it wasn't even about the money. It's about the influence. So one day she said to herself, I'm going to go. And now I've heard about the, there's a, this feast of the cross in Jerusalem. And I heard many people are going there. So let me go. So she takes no money with her to the boat, but she pays for her fare by her harlotry, right? Very easy. And then she goes there and she goes to Jerusalem. Again, not to venerate, you know, uh, God or anything like this, but to find more subjects, right? So she goes there and she finds this long line entering into the church of the Holy Sepulchre. She said, okay, let me go in and see what's going on. So as she begins to go in, as she wants to enter, she feels the power restraining her. She's not able to enter like everyone else. And immediately she knows exactly why she can't go in. So there was an icon of St. Mary, and she looked to St. Mary, and she vowed that if she allows her to go in, she's going to leave this kind of lifestyle. And as soon as she made this heartfelt confession, she was permitted to go in. And then the story says that after she left the church, she went straight to the desert and lived as a hermit for the rest of her life and became one of the ascetic mothers uh, in the land of Egypt. But in the beginning of her life, she used her beauty in a bad way, right? Um, some, my beloved, use these gifts and think that these is a source of power. Why don't we use the gifts and talents that God has given us to glorify His name, right? If I'm intelligent, I share it with others. If I'm attractive in one way or another, I can use this to bring people's attention to God, but not my own, not my own glory. God wants us to share wants to share his power with us, as I mentioned in the beginning. And he says, I gave you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. However, we said there are other powers that compete with this power in our life, and these are the mistaken powers. We said number one is knowledge. Number two is physical strength. Number three, relationships. Number four, authority. Number five, wealth. And number six, our talent, our gift. I'll close with one of the Psalms in Psalm 18, verse 2. It says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and my horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Our strength and power can only come from Him. To Him be the glory for and ever. Amen.